Give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene in Cape Elizabeth, Maine. Download more sermons or learn about the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene at our website, capenazarene.org. I've gotten to that point uh, in my life, my age, where I start to think about things I didn't think about when I first joined the ministry. Things like retirement. Not because like I'm looking to like move on or something for ministry, but because, you know, I'm in my 40s now, and it's one of those things that I have to actually like start thinking about. What's going to happen when that time comes? That, that time may be far and away. My grandfather modeled for me in a great way, pastoring until he was 88. And so there's a part of it like, that still may be very far away in my future. But um, I found myself thinking, where do we go at that point in time? Like, where do we go to live? One of the great things that uh, this church does is it has a property, a parsonage that it provides for its pastors, and that is wonderful. But sometimes uh, we, uh, I, I start to dream and wonder, but what does happen after retirement? Where do we live? How do we have a place to go? What would happen? Or if, or if tragedy struck and uh, uh, Jen was widowed, where would she go? We, we start to kind of wonder about these kinds of things. And my oldest son is a senior in college now. And so we started dreaming and wondering, like, if we could somehow get the funds together, would we, because this is a terrible time in the market, would we, like, get a home or something that he could pay rent in or someone else could rent out? And then maybe over the next 20, 30 years, we could pay that off and then we would be able to retire someplace. I said, that, that would be a plan. So we, I, we start to dream and think about that. And it's all ideas and thoughts. But, you know, as I thought about them, I'm like, okay, what would we do? Well, of course, we could do everything we could, even while, like, whoever it is that was in there, make sure it's the best place, that it was secure, that it was safe, that uh, uh, any time we were between tenants, that, you know, we would, you know, keep an eye on the property, maybe put up security cameras or whatever, just make sure that everything there was taken care of. But, you know, as you dream, sometimes thoughts and dreams can turn into warnings and nightmares. And so you start to wonder, okay, okay, what, what's the worst that could happen? Well, we could get someone in there who is there for a while, maybe a few months, and then just decides, well, we're just not going to pay anymore. Not going to pay rent. No, we're here. And you could say, no, I need this. And we're like, no, sorry. And, and you say, well, you're out. And they could say, no. And then you'd be like, well, what do I do now? And so you call the cops, and they go, and they well, that's a civil matter. And now you've got to take it to the courts. And what you might have thought would be a quick eviction becomes like a months or years-long tragedy. And imagine if, well, okay, got to take them to court now. And so I've got to let them know they're going to court. I've got to make sure they're not tearing up the property while they're squatting there and refusing to leave. And so maybe I would send someone I trust to let them know, hey, you're being sued if you don't leave or pay rent, you're, you're, you're going to court. And maybe I'd be like, well, you know, uh, at this time in my imagined future, Alex and Eric, stra uh, strapping young men, I might say, hey, go, go let them know. Now's the time to uh, pay the rent or now's the time to get out. And if they went over there, and I found out what, that when they went over there, that they were uh, assaulted. And if I were to find out that on their way home they got in a car accident only to find out their brake lines had been cut while they were there, I would be furious. I would be livid. I would be heartbroken at what had happened. And some of you are thinking, Pastor, how could you be so morbid? Well, 
Well, in part because I'm actually borrowing from a story in Scripture. (laughs) And so I'm going to read for you today from Matthew chapter 21, starting at verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. And he leased it to tenants who went to another country. And when the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, Well, they'll respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, Now this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. And so they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He'll put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the produce at the harvest time. And Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produce the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. And they wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. Now this story is a parable. It is a story that Jesus tells in light of some events that are happening around him, but it is just a story. It is not necessarily based in fact, but as I was telling my contemporary version of the story, all of us were like, you know what, I could imagine something like this. In fact, maybe I heard something like this late night on the news or in one of those crime shows that, uh, that are on. You know, it's one of those stories that you're like, it's crazy, but it's somewhat believable. Like, it could actually happen. And so Jesus tells this story, and like, this is crazy, it doesn't make sense. It's believable, though. Someone could actually do this, and Jesus tells this parable to say, something like this is happening now. You see, we live in a world where um, uh, we are supposed to trust one another. We recognize that there is a certain element of trust that exists in our society. Trust in others, even trust in strangers. Even though we are very self-sufficient, and we are individuals who, who like to be, you know, we can take care of ourselves, but yet... We do trust in others. When we send our students to school, we expect they're going to learn. We expect the teachers are going to have a safe environment for them, right? We, we, we let them go in full trust of other people to take care of them. When there's an immense catastrophe, one expects there's going to be a quick response, that people are going to come in and they're going to do their best to hold back the floodwaters or to bring in relief. Or even in the international community right now, there's already talk about how does the world respond to what has just happened last night. When we go to work, we expect to get paid. For the most part, they don't mail checks anymore. Most of the time, it's direct deposit. But you, you expect that whoever you're working for clicks the button to process the payroll to send things on. Right? There's a trust in that. And when we order from Amazon... We expect they're going to get it at the right address, (laughs) right? There are expectations that uh, we have for those that we trust will happen among those around us. And if such expectations are common in our social relationships, 
Is it possible that there might be expectations in our faith relations? That is, that God, in His grace who has extended it to each and every one of us, might have an expectation on us as well. That the God who saved us from our sins, the God who welcomes us into His family, calls us His children, might expect that we would bear fruit, that we would participate in the grace that He has offered. Such that perhaps that is precisely what He wants, that we would bear fruit. This is, this is something Jesus uses uh, at other parts when He curses a fig tree, actually just earlier in this chapter. He says this isn't bearing any fruit at all. Jesus wants us in our walk of faith to bear fruit. That is, to produce something that indeed is nourishing and helpful for those around us and reflects the source that feeds us. Things like social acts of love, getting involved in issues that take care of the greatest needs in our community, or that affect large groups of people that are often neglected or prejudiced against. Loving our neighbor through specific or personal acts of love, ways in which you say, hey, I'm there for you. One of the things that always surprises me, because I haven't always lived in neighborhoods where people take care of each other, but every now and again I'll go in my mailbox and there's some baked goods from somebody down the block, I'm like, wow, okay. Or I'll hear someone saying, you know, we were sick, but our neighbors were bringing food for us and taking care of us. I'm like, that is awesome. That is what we are supposed to do. Personal acts of care and love for one another. And, and, and making disciples, that we are called to tell people about the Jesus who has made a difference in our lives and tell people the story of our salvation. I think the... Uh, the most nerve-wracking thing whenever we hear a pastor or evangelist say, you have to be a disciple maker, you have to tell people about Jesus. We think, uh, you know, I have to have the whole plan of salvation written out on a paper or on a napkin ready to go or something like that. And, well, that can be helpful, but really what it means is just tell your story. We all have a story, and it's ours, about how God has made a difference in our life or about where he's taken us, and just, just tell that. And you'll find that uh, God works in those ways. And so this is a story, a parable, about the call of God's people to bear fruit. And we know he's talking about God's people. This, this vineyard parable has ties specifically to Isaiah 5, which we had read for us today. And, and in Isaiah 5, it makes very clearly the vineyard here is, is the people of God. And he said, uh, you are called to bear fruit. And if you don't, well, the vineyard's going to uh, be, be, be destroyed. The vineyard's going to be taken care of, according to Isaiah. And so this parable here is that there is a point here about bearing the fruit that the Father has bestowed upon us. That In this story, this is a story that God has given each of us, made each of us like tenants in this world that He has created. This is, I've had a plan, I've had a purpose for my creation. And you are going to live into that grace and live into that purpose and live into that love for each other that indeed perhaps someday, well, sometimes it's hard to say this. Um, I think in the early 20th century, we were very optimistic. You would have heard pastors say, so that someday we will live in a world that doesn't resort to the things of war and violence and things like that. After World War II, we got pessimistic. Someday we'll be in heaven where there is no war and there is no violence. Today we might practice what it is to live in a world like that. 
to find ourselves indeed embraced by the Spirit of God and say, how do we live today in anticipation of what God is going to do for all eternity? And so this parable becomes a parable that indeed speaks a little bit about uh, warning for those who aren't able to do that. There's talk about the wrath of God. And when it comes to what does Jesus mean about this parable, it seems to be bear fruit or else. Bear fruit or else, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Lord of the vineyard is, is going to uh, uh, destroy, get revenge, come back against you. But the son in this story is not merely a catalyst to get to the or else. The son in this story is not just a, a section by which we say, okay, this is why God got mad, because it's just an expression of you know, them not bearing fruit. No, the, in this story, the son is a very particular person. And, if we, and to get an idea of how we might understand how that is, what we read at the very beginning of the worship service, Psalm 118, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 is this passage by which uh, they quote, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. It has become uh, 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 the foundation of what God wants to do. And so we find that indeed what he's saying is the Son has come and is sourced and is blessed by the Lord and has come with a saving purpose. All of Psalm 118 from which this passage comes says the one who comes brings salvation, brings the grace. And yet... It has been rejected. And so Jesus said to him, Haven't you read in this earth the stone the builders rejected became the cornerstone? That which was thrown away became the foundation? Uh, I, got a, I got a call this week. It's a couple days ago, actually. Howard, I'm going to tell your story. <laughs> he, he called me every now and then. I, I love getting calls that are praises. And, I got a call with, hey, I got a praise. Uh, I, was, I was up late the other night, he says. I had done work. We, we, we'd done the work on this project. We're laying the frame. We're written all this work. Work done. And uh, after full day work, we realize things are out of plumb. Things are not quite squared the way they're supposed to be. And that's not good. I mean, have you ever been in a house where, like, you know, the walls don't join at a perfect nine degree? It's hard to put flooring down. It's hard to put anything on the walls. The furniture doesn't sit just right. It's terrible. It's like, this isn't right. We, we need to get this right. The beam, was out of level. the beam was out of level too. You said like the measurement, like half inch off in one way, and you're worried. And he's up late, and he's worried, and he's scared. And he's, scared. he's like, Ugh. you know, he's thinking, how much do I got to redo? How much do I have to undo? And, and so he starts praying, Lord, can you fix this? <laughs> can you just fix this? Like, we don't need a day's wasted of work to go back and do it over again. And he goes back the next day. And he said, it was like Jesus the carpenter came down. <laughs> Everything was plumb. The measurements were right. And it's like those small little kind of miracles, a small little yes, that's awesome. Of course, his son is like, well, maybe it was just gravity. <laughs> but here's the thing, gravity's funny. It could have gone worse. <laughs> and, so, um, and so to find that indeed God can work, whether he wants to work through natural means or whether he wants to just put his finger in there and adjust things, that God can indeed take care of us, that that which might have had to be rejected, that which might have had to be redone, is now able to be the foundation for everything else that you're going to be doing on that property. That's what God does with Jesus when he says, the stone that they've rejected, this isn't good enough. We can't build with this. God says, yes, I can make this the foundation of my plan and purpose 
for what I want to do in this world. And so Jesus, the one who the leaders are going to reject, God says, no, he's my plan still. I'm going to raise him up and make him the salvation of the people. And so he says in verse 4, the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. It will crush anyone on whom it falls. And there is indeed the sense or foreboding that this one, uh, that uh, the ones who trip on him will indeed be broken. But what we find in Jesus Christ, for whatever reason rejected and destroyed and broken, is that when something is broken, um, even though it doesn't function as it should, and it seems like it should be thrown away, and it seems like it's junk, it seems like it's no good. In fact, I think we're, we, we understand that. I think we're in a time now where we hardly repair anything. In fact, sometimes we can't repair anything. Uh, we, you know, they break and, and, it's, and things are engineered in such a way and, things are, and there are uh, guidelines and rules in place that you have to replace. We're used to just throwing away. But God says, no, I can repair. I can use what is broken. Uh, I still remember a great example of this. Jen, and I, Jen likes to take me to... Um, little art festivals and uh, specifically like those outdoor ones where like they have like the big white tents and you have all kinds of vendors and sometimes you have artists in there with their wares. And I still remember one that Jen took me to, I think it was in Kansas City, where like there was this one artist who just had all kinds of junk. I mean, really discarded junk. But it had been re-welded, rewired, redone, and it was magnificent sculptures. And Jen's like, isn't this amazing what they could do with this? And I'm looking at that going, yeah, but it still looks like junk to me. But, but, it, but to so many other people, they recognize it was great and wonderful art. <laughs> Jen's giving me the stink guy over there. Like, how can you say that? But that's precisely it. This scripture's warning, people like me, don't look at it as junk. Uh, but, but this is the work, of, uh, that's the work of God that he does. And the life of Jesus and the life of those who have been broken is that he renews, restores, he resurrects. Jesus was that rejected stone, destroyed by the chief priests, those with power, those who want to lay claim to this world, those who said, if we can just get rid of the Son, we can claim this world of which God has made us uh, tenants. God in Genesis 1 said, you are to be stewards of this world. Maybe we can reclaim it as our own. We have a, um, a way of uh, doing communion that uh, isn't in our manual, that isn't uh, anywhere that I can see of the right way to do it. When we take our wafer and we say, this is the bread of Christ, we all snap it at the same time or near the same time. And it's so audible. And I used to think the reason I can hear it, because I'm probably snapping it right here next to my microphone. But, uh, but every now and again, I hear people start just before I do. And it's so crisp and it's clear. And it is a reminder for me every single time that it is symbolic of the body of Christ which was broken for us. That every time that snaps, we are reminded that the grace of God comes to us in the one who's broken, in the one whose body was crucified on a cross. And God's grace comes to us even if we find ourselves still radically in need of God's grace. Where there is brokenness, God brings healing and God brings help. 
And so we find ourselves looking at this passage. So what do we do with some of the threats? And what do we do with some of the warnings? I find myself saying, yes, there is indeed a harsh warning here for those who aren't bearing fruit. But one of the things I've suggested at least a little bit in, in a previous sermon, something I've, I've been wrestling with again and again, is it seems to me the worst words about judgment in the Scripture. In fact, I would say in like 99% of the passages when you look at the context, that when God talks about judging, it's usually in two situations. One is it's among those who are oppressing God's people, ones who are destroying and tearing down God's people. And so God's judgment is a kind of hope for those who have nothing and are looking out and saying, how much more do I have to bear up under the weight of those who have their, their boot on my back? And God's judgment becomes a way of hope of it will not always be that way. In fact, they will be held accountable for that. Now, on the other hand, God's judgment is often reserved for those who, are, who have gotten comfortable in the church, comfortable in the faith, and have de- decided to become gatekeepers of God's grace and to determine where God's grace can and can't go. And to those chief priests and those Pharisees, he says they will be torn apart when they fall on the one whom they have rejected. It is a word of concern precisely for those who want to limit where God's grace can possibly go. This is a parable that Jesus says to those who are questioning him, those who are questioning his authority, because he has come and he has shown that God desires to bring healing where they're sick. He desires to bring miracles where there's no hope. He desires to bring love and grace among those who have never experienced it before. And to those who try to quiet that and say, no, God could not possibly work there, he says, watch out. Don't be gatekeepers of God's grace. Be surprised at where God wants to move. And when you are surprised where God wants to move, we'll start to be surprised where God can move and where God can act. We are indeed called to produce fruit, not to hoard it, not to keep it for ourselves, but indeed to allow it to be used however God wants to use it. This is the call of the parable for us. And our calling as we walk into and receive God's blessings in our lives is to say, okay, God, however you want to use this life, here it is, your fruit. Let's see where your Holy Spirit moves and I'll just be surprised at what happens next and be blessed to have been a part of it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this passage of Scripture is, uh, is one that reminds us that uh, You are the God who has made stewards out of us all in this world. That, Lord, when you created humanity and you put them on this world, that you said, here it is for you to tend. Here it is for you to name. Here it is that I have blessed. You are stewards of these resources. Heavenly Father, help us to recognize, to know that you have lavished your grace upon us and to be good stewards of that grace in this world. Help us, Heavenly Father, to share love, to share our story, to find indeed eyes that see that you are at work in small ways and in big ways, where you bring hope that is of a medical nature, where you bring hope, whether it's of just a day's labor, whatever it is, Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways in which sometimes you move and you work in our life. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for uh, your love and your grace in us. Help us to see that uh, 
you are still using us. However we are, broken or not, you love to build something new out of that which has been discarded. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this good news. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this sermon podcast. We hope that the message has inspired you to draw closer to God each day. May God bless you as you serve him today.